Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, my name is Danny Flood. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for living the adventurous lifestyle. I am honored and excited today because I am joined by Travis Sherry. He's a traveler and podcaster and host of the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. Travis, along with his wife, Heather, have discovered some of the best ways to travel the world for next to nothing. They've scored $5 plane tickets and gotten free stays in some amazing homes around the world. Together, they've scuba-dived the Great Barrier Reef, ridden camels through the deserts of India, marveled at the wonder of Angkor Wat, sipped wine in Tuscany, drank beer in Prague, and even eaten a cricket in Thailand. Uh, Even better, Travis is doing something more important and meaningful with his podcast, where he's interviewed some of the top names in travel to learn their tricks and give people a taste of what the world and true travel is really like. So, Travis, thank you so much for being here. Just wanted to welcome you to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Danny. And I appreciate the wonderful introduction. That's great. You basically hit it all. What am I going to talk about now? <laughs> There's the end of the interview right there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. See you later. ExtraPackOfPeanuts.com. <laughs> uh, so, so, Travis, really, I, I'd like it if you could just tell me, because you have quite a backstory um, as far as your, your former life. And I know that you... It's a bit ironic. You really hated travel, your first experiences with it anyway. Um, and now you're running a site and talking about how much you love travel. So tell me a little bit about your backstory and the listener as well. Yeah, it is quite ironic. Um, I think the people who have known me all my life find it find it very strange that I'm running a travel website. And that boils down to the fact that when I was young, I guess I wouldn't say that I hated getting to the, like, I I didn't hate when I got to a destination. So for example, when I was young, most of the time we traveled down to Florida to see my grandparents, which is probably like 90% of kids who live on the East coast growing up. And, um, that to me was, was what travel was. It's kind of what we did. Um, I hated the actual flying part because I would get really, really sick. Um, I'd kind of stress myself out, you know, days before we left. And I don't even know what the stress was caused from like i don't think i was scared of flying i just think i think one of the first times i flew i got sick right and so i i in my head i was always going to get sick when i flew and uh and so i'd stress myself out before it and then i'd i'd be sick on the plane and then you know we'd land and it'd take me like two days before i want to start eating because i'd feel sick so i just hated the whole idea of getting on a plane and so actually um when i turned 18 um, you know, I, I could drive obviously at 16 and I actually started going down to Florida quite a bit to see my grandparents. I had a friend who lived down there. My sister actually went to, my twin sister went to college down there. So I would just drive down and, uh, you know, most people would think like, what, why would you, you know, it's going to take you like 18 hours or 16 if you drive straight, you know, just hop on a plane. But I just didn't like flying. Um, which as you mentioned, is pretty ironic because now we teach people how to fly all around the world for free. And um, I just got on a flight, you know, a day ago and it was from Phoenix and it was like seven hours total because we had a layover in Denver and things like that. But to me now, that's a really short trip. So as anything under, you know, six hours on the plane, you know, at one shot is is pretty short. And, um, you know, we've flown all over the world. We've flown from Australia, from Southeast Asia, all the way back to Philadelphia, you know, where I'm from. So these long, long, you know, international flights and 
I, I got to say, I still don't really love flying, but it's I'm kind of at a base level with it, right? Like, I don't love it. I don't hate it. Um, <laughs> I'm, just but, think, I'm just thinking you're like uh, a Batman. You know, he's, he's afraid <laughs> of bats, and he, he overcame his fear of bats, you know? And, and right. now he's the Batman, and now you're right. the extra pack of peanuts guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's funny. And to me, you know, uh, it was always a means to an end. It still is a means to an end. Like I know some people really geek out about the actual plane and, and you know, the experience of being in the air and they love being in airports. I even have friends who fly, uh, you know, all the time. We're talking like 50 flights a year or more. And, um, they still love the actual flying part. For me, it's about getting to the destination and I love travel so much. I'm willing willing to fly. And of course, if there's other modes of transportation, like I'll take them as well. They're always fun um, and interesting. I love train travel. I think that's great. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty ironic that now I write and talk about travel all the time. And I, I basically inspire people to travel and show them how to do it in ways that are you know more authentic and cheaper. But yes, as a kid, I just, I, I never would have envisioned. I remember saying specifically to my mom when I was probably eight years old, the worst job in the world would be being a flight attendant. I said, how can any human ever want to actually get on a plane and, and then actually have to work while they're on a plane? Um, that would be so awful. And now, you know, yeah, we fly, I, you know, probably 30 flights a year or something like that. So it's, well, it's pretty funny when, when, it, you, all, when you boil it down. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about more a little bit more about your lifestyle. It's been about five years since you started this travel lifestyle. Um, did, what was your life like before that? And what's it like now? Can you tell me like what the transition was like? Yeah. Drastically different is, <laughs> is what the lifestyle is now compared to what it was before. So I, um, I didn't travel that much then, like I said, growing up, we'd go to Florida and things like that. And then I, I took my first international trip when I went to Paris when I was, uh, I turned 21 in Paris. So, um, I went there and that was, um, to help restore a community center and a church. So it was kind of like a working trip and that was cool. And it opened my eyes to, to it a little bit, but I, I kind of even didn't want to go. I remember at that point and my parents were like, oh, you should probably go on this trip. Your sister's going, your cousin's going, things like that. So that was like, it, I can specifically say when I was 21, I didn't really care about traveling so much. And I had been uh, around the U.S. a little bit, uh, mostly the East Coast. And I like that. But, I, you know, international travel had never grabbed me. I, I don't know why. It's funny to look back on that and say that, but it just didn't. You know, I never studied abroad. Uh, my sister, again, she's my twin sister. So we're always doing stuff at the same you know, we're, we're the same age, so you could kind of compare yourself. And she had gone away to Australia, New Zealand to study abroad and things like that. And for whatever reason, I didn't. And um, I can't tell you why that was. Um, again, I wasn't afraid of it. I think I was just, to me, it was just something that wasn't a priority. And um, I did start traveling a little bit then. And I I went back to grad school at 25 and I, I, at that point something hit me and I had traveled a little bit to the UK and, and thought, all right, this is pretty neat. And I told my graduate professor, Hey, I want to study abroad. Um, like do an internship abroad. Cause I had to, as part of my program. And, um, so backing up a little bit, I, I graduated university and then I was teaching high school, uh, history, basically outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. And it was a job that, you know, as a high schooler, I knew I wanted to be a teacher because I, I like, 
the teachers that I had and I thought it'd be a neat job. And so I taught high school history for about three years. And um, I, it's not that I didn't like it. I actually did enjoy it, but I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it forever. Like I could already feel that a couple years in that, hey, this is not going to work for me. Like I'm going to have to move up or I'm going to have to do something different. You know, I'm not going to be in a classroom for 30 years. And so that's why I went back to grad school um, to do a degree in sports management because I knew, all right, maybe I want to be an athletic director or something like that. And um, that led me then to saying I wanted to do an internship abroad, which led me to working for the International Baseball Federation in Switzerland. Um, and that was the first time I ever lived abroad. And that was four months in Switzerland. And while I was there, I just I loved every moment of it. I mean, I was getting paid like a thousand U.S. dollars a month maximum. And they they'd actually never ended up paying us while we were there. So we were like blowing through our savings, me and the few other guys I was working with you know, uh, in the most expensive country in the world, but it was still amazing. Like we had no money to do anything and it was still amazing. So I just thought this is incredible. Living abroad is so different. Like, you know, we have our own grocery store that we go into every day, you know, everything that you do in normal life, you do while you're living abroad, but it's different because you haven't done it before and, and everything's, you know, a fresh experience. So that is when I really thought, man, I want to, I really want to travel more and I don't just want to travel like once a year for a week or two, I want to experience a culture and live in it. And, um, Travis, it's it's kind of like that, uh, that experience of living multiple lives in one lifetime kind of, right? Yeah, it was a, it was a breaking point. It, and, um, I just loved it. And so that led, um, that was the beginning of my life being totally different. And so I came home and my wife and I, we, we got married and I just said to her, man, I really loved being in Switzerland. Would you want to, live abroad. And she was like, definitely, let's do it. I'm like, all right, well, that was an easy sell. And um, we went and we taught English in Japan for two years. And during that time is when I started my website and started this entrepreneurial journey that I'm on now and um, and became basically location independent, which, which now means compared to my old job of waking up at six o'clock and going in and teaching students, you know, stuff that they may or may not care about and teaching stuff that I may or may not care about. Um, now I get to wake up whenever I want. I don't have to set an alarm except for today. Since you're in Bangkok, I'm, um, I'm in Philly. So we're 12 hours difference. So I had to wake up and do an alarm today. Um, but other than that, man, I get to like teach what I want and what I love, which is, which is travel and, and entrepreneurship and location independence. And I get to teach it to people who, who really care because they're finding what I do because they want more of it. They want more information. So it's just been a complete 180. And, and, you know, in the last five years, we've been to, I don't know, I'd have to count it up, over 30 countries and a bunch of states. And we've gotten to really experience things that very few people outside of me and you, Danny, uh, outside of us get to experience because we've done it in a way that's a lot different than just traveling through somewhere. We've actually got to dig in and and kind of set roots down in a few places and see it from a different perspective. So I'm really, really blessed. I don't say that I'm lucky because that and Furs that likes, you know, I got this winning lottery ticket, but I will say that the life that I've got to lead is very blessed and it's been an amazing experience. Yeah, I have to remind myself to be thankful every single day just to have the freedom that I have. Um, you know, just being here in Bangkok, I see the commutes that people have to go through every single day, you know, <laughs> wait 30 minutes for 45 minutes for the bus, you know, and then take two hour bus ride back home and then just, you know, crash in bed while watching a DVD or something like that. Uh, and just, just being able to wake up when I want to, just be able to pull out the laptop, work wherever I want to, mix up some coffee, 
buy a ticket anywhere if I want to, you know, it's, it's just a feeling of freedom. And, you know, I, I, I just remind myself to be grateful for it every single day. Um, I, me, I think you're, somebody. I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. T- tell me about some of the, the highlights of some of the experiences you've had, uh, in the sure. location independent lifestyle. Sure. Uh, you know, one of the neatest experiences that I've had recently was, uh, there's two uh, that stick out and this is in the last couple months. One was Heather and I got to return to Switzerland. So I hadn't been back since, you know, I told you I I was 25 and I did this internship. So that was seven years ago. And I I hadn't been back to Switzerland. I kind of like passed through it. I think we like laid over in Zurich once, but I'd never really been back. And, um, until this past June. And we actually had the opportunity to film a TV show in Switzerland um, with a professional um, TV crew that will be airing in the United States and things like that. So we got to do 10 days um, where we went to uh, St. Moritz, Interlaken, Bern, and Lucerne. And it was it was incredible. So we got picked to host this TV show. Um, we went all over Switzerland in 10 days. It was It was a crazy schedule. I mean, waking up at like seven, which is not my forte, um, you know, having to be camera ready, starting to film at like 8am filming until 10pm, just doing all types of activities. But that was really neat because for me, it really took it full circle. You know, that was when I first started thinking, all right, there's a lifestyle that's different and I don't really know how I'm going to do it. And I don't really know what it is because when I first was in Switzerland, my idea was to work in international sports. And so I figured I'd have kind of a quote unquote real job, but that if I was working internationally, you know, I get to travel a lot and I'd be doing it around something I love, which was sports. Um, but I didn't even know what location independence was really at that point. You know, I, I guess I knew some people did it, but I didn't know anyone personally who did it and to come back and now to be like filming a TV show and, like reaching a pinnacle, something we'd always wanted to do. You know, we have our own TV, TV show. This is amazing. And to be doing it in the spot that, you know, seven years before kind of spurred my um, wanderlust was pretty amazing. And, and it was a great experience in its own right. Um, that was pretty cool. And uh, I'm not going to lie. Like it was I, not like I got teary, but, you know, it was it was just one of those moments where you're like, this is very serendipitous. And um, you think back on all the things you've done in the last seven years to get you to that spot and all the decisions you made, which could have went any which way, you know, and they led us back to the exact same spot that, that I was in seven years prior. So that was a really neat experience. I think it's your, your intention and your purpose that, that sticks with you through those seven years. You know, the decisions, um, the things you face, you know, day to day, they're temporary, but you, you obviously had this intention to, to, to arrive back at this place after this journey that you've taken. And I know that it was not an easy journey. There were times when you had to, I guess you said, move back in your, with your parents. Um, <laughs> there were definitely some low points. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we were touching on right before we started this podcast was that sometimes people gloss over the hard times because the fact that you know, it, it doesn't fit the narrative of life is great now, right? You know, but for me, yeah, I love talking about the the struggles and there's still a daily struggles all the time um, because I think that not only does it make me appreciate, as you were talking about earlier, Danny, appreciate where I am and be grateful for where I am now, but it also helps people who are a couple years behind or a few steps behind realize that, yes, it's going to be tough, uh, but it's also, you know, you can get past it. 
And, um, you know, I think if they don't, if people don't know that, if it gets tough, they think, well, it wasn't hard for Travis or it wasn't hard for Danny because look at what they're talking about. Their life is great. So I might as well give up or I can't do it because I'm not as good as them or whatever excuse they're making in their head. Like, don't make those excuses. It was tough for everyone who's gone through it, no matter what picture they like to paint. Um, so I, we moved back from Japan. So we taught English in Japan for two years and it was a great experience. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I knew at that point that I wanted to be in control of where I lived, which has a term coincidentally location independence, which again, I still was like new to. Um, but when I first heard that term, I remember thinking like, that is exactly what I want. I want location independence. I want to be able to be in Thailand for a month if I want or 10 months if I want. Um, and I don't mind like working hard, but I just want to be able to do it where I want to do it. And at that point, um, I, I, I was entrepreneurial, but I had never had anything that worked, right? And I didn't ever really go into anything full bore. So I started my website in October 2012. And, or I mean, excuse me, I started in January 2012 while I was working full time teaching English in Japan, which I think is an important lesson for a lot of people. You know, if, if you want to kind of become location independent, you want to take that um, and you want that lifestyle you know, jumping right off the cliff and quitting whatever you're doing and, and just trying to make it work might work for some people. But for the majority of people, unless you really hate what you're doing or you have a lot of savings um, in the bank, I tell them, keep doing what you're doing and just do whatever it is that you want to do on the side for a little bit and try to make it work and see if you even like it before putting that financial strain on yourself as well. So I um I said, if I can get up to $3,000 a month with my website, and I had no idea how that was going to happen at all. I thought it was going to be advertising, like probably most people think when they start. You know, I'll put a Google ad ad banner on here, and I'll get enough traffic. Um, I, I was going to be able to do it full-time. So I hit that number by the time we left um, Japan in October 2012. So it was about you know 10 months worth of work there before I made really any money on it. And... Um, and I came home and I wrote my own book and I thought, like, again, most people, this is, I mean, Danny, I think I'm like a poster child for people who don't understand how to make money online because I just, <laughs> all the assumptions that most people make, I made as I did it. Um, I wrote a book and I said, oh, well, you know, if, it's, if I sell it for like 40 bucks and I only have to sell 10,000 copies, like, what is that? You know, that's $400,000, like 10,000 copies seems easy, right? Um, it's not easy as it turns out. Um, but I wrote a book and we started making some money off the website and that was great. And then January, 2012, on my birthday, uh, January 3rd, we had been making some money as affiliates for, for credit cards because I would tell people, Hey, if you want to travel hack and you want to get miles, like here are the best cards for you. And, uh, you know, here's how you can use those miles. Well, turns out the credit card companies don't always want people knowing how to use them. Um, and they only want you to promote ones that, that they, you know, they think are good for that time. So, uh, Chase and myself had been fighting a little bit because they wanted me to promote credit cards that weren't the best offers that were out there. And I said, no, I'm going to promote the best ones, whether you pay me or not, I'm going to promote the best ones. Um, so we had this like uneasy relationship, I guess, but it was great because I was getting more traffic to my site and we, you know, that December we had made $6,000 off, off the credit card affiliates. And it was great for everyone because, I was telling people the best cards. They were opening them. They were using their miles to travel all around the world. I was making money off my site. Um, but turns out Chase didn't like me telling people how to use the miles and telling them which cards to get that were the ones they didn't want people to get. And uh, that meant that, yeah, on my birthday, they, they said, all right, 
uh, where we've had enough of this. You're no longer an affiliate. Like they cut all my affiliate links. So that basically what that meant is everything that I had done, I, you know, I could still promote these cards, but I wasn't going to get paid. So yeah, in one email, uh, basically our $6,000 a month income from that went to zero. And uh, I was pretty depressed, man. I, I don't get depressed very easily. I'm usually really, really upbeat, but that was probably the saddest I was in my life up to that point. Um, because I'd worked for a, a year to build it up and finally it was working. And all of a sudden now I had this community, but I had no idea how I was going to make money off it. And it took me a good two weeks to pull myself out of like, to even like get to the point where I'm like, no, you can do this, you know, not to even come up with a plan to do it just to say you can do it. And, uh, and yeah, we, you know, we had planned when we moved back from Japan to, to move out. And so we were with my parents for like the first month or two while we were looking for apartments. And then all of a sudden the income was almost down to zero. And, um, yeah, that was tough. And we had to live with my parents for like five to seven months longer than we thought I was doing anything I could to make money for my website. Um, you know, like I was helping people book trips and act as a travel agent, uh, you know, for people who wanted to use their miles, which isn't exactly what I wanted to do because it was a lot of work and I wasn't getting paid that well. And if I spent six hours trying to help someone get a flight and then we couldn't, you know, I didn't get paid for any of that time. So it was trading time for money in every sense of the word. Um, what, but I didn't know did how you, else to do it. What did you learn from kind of clawing your way back from the brink there? I mean, that must have been really a uh, transformative experience for you. Yeah, I learned that you have to make money. <laughs> and I know it sounds so simple, but a friend of mine, and it is simple, right? But a friend of mine, so, you know, that happened January and I was just clawing my long, my way along. And the thing was like, I was writing twice a week and I had just started a podcast. So everything was going well in terms of readership and, and building this community. So that was great, but there was nothing, I wasn't making any money off it because I wasn't marketing the book the right way. Well, I wasn't marketing it at all. And I just assumed people would buy it. And, you know, that was, that was a mistake. So I was actually at a conference and a buddy of mine, uh, Jacob Sokol from, from Sensify, we are talking and he said, man, you know what? Like you need to stop writing any blog posts. Like you're holding yourself to this twice a week thing and you're writing these epically long blog posts that people love, but it's not helping you in any way, you know, in terms of financially. And, and you started this podcast and people love it, but it's not helping you financially. So he said, until you figure out a way to make money, you have to stop doing that. And I was like, oh, I can't, you know, I made all excuses. Like I can't because people expect it, this and that. He was like, all right, well, in three months when you're still making no money, are you going to be able to do that? Or are you going to have to take a regular job? And you know, I was like, well, I have to take a regular job, right? I mean, I'm going to, eventually I am going to have to make more than $2,000 a month if I'm living, you know, on the East coast of the United States. I have a wife and, you know, we're trying to move our life forward versus just survive. And so he said, all right, figure out a way to make money. Uh, before you record another podcast and before you write another post. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, I guess he's right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this and people like it, but I have to make sure that I can continue this and I, and I have to sustain this. And the only way to sustain it is if I find out a way to make money. So I had had a plan <laughs> to make this video course uh, around what I taught in my book because people who bought the book loved it. But then they said, you know, can you help me still? And I was like, well, you know, you read the book. It's supposed to tell you everything you need to know. But they wanted more handholding, which is is fine. You know, it's it, I do too sometimes. You know, you always read something and then know how to do it. So I was like, man, I've been thinking about making this video course even before I started a website, like even before a year ago. And so I just sat down and was like, all right, I'm going to make frequent flyer boot camp and it's going to, it's going to be a video course. And I remember I, I, uh, 
pre-sold it before I even knew what that even meant. I just, I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to spend all this time making a video course people don't want. So on my site, I said, all right, uh, frequent flyer bootcamp. It's open to the first 30 people. You have three days to sign up. And I had no idea what I was good, like what videos were good, they were going to look like or how I was going to make it. Um, I just wanted to see if anyone was interested because if they weren't, well, let's move on to another idea. And, uh, you know, the first day, like four people signed up. I think we were selling at that point for like 179 And, you know, I was like 600 bucks. And I sat there and thought, oh, my gosh, wow. Like I just made 600 bucks. I guess I better start making this course. And so for three days... Like every waking hour, I was just putting together these videos because all of a sudden now I had to give them something in in three days. And, um, you know, by the end, I think 10 people had signed up and I thought, all right, this that's, you know, almost two grand there. Um, I've now made money with my site and, and people loved it. So that is what I learned. I learned that you have to figure out a way to monetize what you're doing. If that is, you know, if it's going to be your job, if it's if it's a hobby, that's fine. But if it's your job and it's what you're going to do to exist, you know, you have to make money doing it and that you shouldn't be scared to make money doing it because, you know, you put it out there and people make a decision. So if you're putting out something that's awesome, you know, people make a decision to buy it, you know, over deliver all the time, just give them some crazy value um, and, and really help the best that you can in every way that you can. And people are going to be happy. And um, that started the ball rolling. And there's been ups and downs since then, but that was the major dip and that was the major aha moment. And from there, we just keep providing like different products that people like and, and, and trying to put together the best stuff to help people travel and become location independent. And um, it's been a crazy couple of years since then, but it's worked. And I think that um, it was a total mindset shift for me that I, that I had to figure out a way to make money. And I think that's a hard thing to do when you're, when you're not, when you haven't, been entrepreneur all your life. You know, when you're just kind of starting out, you think I got to give all my best stuff away for free and build a community. But at some point you're going to have to build a product or, or a service or something to keep it going. <laughs> I'm just sitting here nodding my head to everything that you're saying. And I know there's a lot of travel bloggers who can relate to everything you just said. But me personally, I, I find that going through my twenties, I always felt like I could just waste my time. You know, I don't have to worry about making money or, you know, I could just spend my time tango dancing or going to the <laughs> gym or, you know, chasing girls and stuff like this. But now that I'm 30, I, I feel like I, I want more of my hobbies to be for profit, you know, income generating hobbies, um, which is one of the biggest differences for me in my 20s versus, you know, 30s, I think as well. Um, let me ask you then. So, so you do you get generate most of your income through uh, product launches. What are some things you've you've learned about uh, creating products and uh, monetizing? Yeah. So everything I learned was done kind of through experience. You know, like I said, I I learned the idea of pre-selling, which is when you ask if people want something before you just up and do it. Uh, with that first frequent fire boot camp. And I think that's a really important lesson. You know, a lot of times people in their head have this idea of what they're going to do, right? Like, oh, I'm going to make this product because everyone's going to love it. And, and I'm not saying they won't. And I, I love that because I get super enthusiastic about stuff all the time. <laughs> like I, I'm the poster child for that. But, you know, you do want to make sure, especially if it's a huge project, you know, if you're going to undertake like making a video course or throwing like a huge live event or something like that, you want to make sure that 
people are going to come because you're going to be spending, even if you're not spending any money on it, like, you know, creating the video course didn't really cost me any money, but it did cost me a lot of time. Um, you want to make sure that people want it. And that can be as easy as, as if you have a community, a, a podcast community or, or, or a blog community or anything like that, you know, asking them like, like selling it ahead of time and not just saying, would you like this? Because a lot of people are like, yeah, that'd be great. But actually making them buy it, like pre-selling it and saying like, if you buy it now, you know, let's say it's a hundred dollar product, right? If you buy it now, you'll get it for $50. Um, as a special pre-sale only. And then, you know, you actually have people hitting the buy button and buying it. And so it shows they're committed. They're getting a discount. You're getting money in right away. And you're seeing, like, you're testing out your theory of whether it's it's worth it or not. And um, I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people kind of gloss over and never do because of the fact that they just assume that their ideas are the best. And again, I'm guilty as charged. So I'm not, I'm not being condescending or talking down to anyone like that. Cause I always think my ideas are the best and some of them are, and some of them definitely aren't, but you find that out by trying it. And, um, that's, that's one of the things. The other thing I think is that if you are creating a product and again, this is almost do as I say, not as I do, because it, it's hard to do. And I still feel weird saying like, sales, right? You know, some people are born sales people, but most people are not. And most people get into this, you know, blogging or podcasting because they really want to make a difference in people's lives. They want to create value. They want to help like shine the light on the life that they're leading and help others do the same thing, which is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. But again, you have to make money. And so if you create a product and you really, really and it's a good product. So that's the other key is like making something that you really truly believe in. Then you should feel like you should get that message out to the world. And um, you shouldn't feel like you're, oh, I have to sell these people on it. What you should feel is like I'm giving these people an opportunity to really take what I know and, and, and buy my product and change their life. And if you're not giving them that opportunity, like if you're, if you're creating these awesome products and you're not telling anyone, you're not doing uh, like a modicum of difference in your life or their life. And so I've really kind of taken that to heart because, you know, I create these products and I used to think, oh man, I'm just going to hide it on my website. And and that's the first mistake is saying like, hide it. Like, why would I hide it? But I, I'm just going to put it here and people are going to buy it. And no, they're not. Like no one comes to a site and just reads a few of your blog posts and then buys what you have because they because they see it on the sidebar. Usually they buy it because they've had a relationship with you, because you've emailed with them, because they listen to your podcast, because they're on your email newsletter list and, and you're emailing every week. So you're creating, you're giving them all this free value and you're saying, and if you want even more, here's a way to support me or here's a way, uh, here's a product that's going to help you out even more. And so now all our sales that we see come through, like you can't even buy our frequent flyer bootcamp on our website anymore because it just no one was buying it. No one was showing up from Google and saying, yeah, I want this course. It was people who were on our email list who were loving all the stuff we did, who were listening to our podcasts every week and were saying like, I know what Travis and Heather do there is awesome. Um and I want more of it. And so they'd go and they'd buy our Frequent Fire Bootcamp course. So they join our community um, location indie and things like that. So yeah, I think great, that... Uh, point you just brought up there. That's the concept of the 1,000 true fans uh, that Kevin Kelly talks about. Uh, uh, editor of Wired Magazine, where you basically just have this really passionate uh, following, this passionate user base. And they just they'll scoop up anything that you produce. They'll engage with you. And... I know it takes some time to, to really build that up. I mean, it can take a couple of years, uh, but once once you have that, you're basically 
you can pretty much do anything you want, right? Yeah, I as long as you keep your integrity about it and you keep making good products, you know, yeah, once you have a fan uh, and and you keep providing them awesome stuff and you don't let that lag and you don't throw like put put together like a throwaway product and just do it to make money. I mean, you you have their trust and that's the awesomest part because those are the people you want buying your product as well. You know, I used to think one of the mistakes I made was oh, I'm going to make a product, I'm going to kind of like just hope all different types of people buy it like because it, it, frequent fire boot camp can work for everyone, right? And it, and it can in essence. But what I found was like the people I wanted buying it like we're the best people because, you know, when I resonated with someone and usually, you know, we have people, uh, we actually do have a couple, this is getting kind of businessy, but a couple avatars of people who buy, you know, some of the people with families and they want to take their families traveling. Some are people who are like us who are younger, you know, maybe mid twenties to mid thirties who want to like travel all the time instead of just once or twice a year. And so they're like, Oh, if I have frequent fire miles, I can go wherever, whenever. Um, and, and so when I get those people to buy it too, it's so much better for me because they really love it. They really use the material. They love giving testimonials and they're fun. Like then they join the Facebook group and they're always helping each other out. And I'd much rather have that buyer than just some random person who sees it, you know, buys it, never uses it. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, like I'm not going to tell you you can't buy it if you're never going to use it, but I'd much rather have someone who is a loyal fan buy the product because it's way better for everyone else. So Getting that little tribe, um, another little buzzword there, I guess, but getting that really loyal fans in that tribe is great for both sides, both you and them, because they get all this value from you and you get all this value from them because they're actually using the stuff that, that you make and they're t- giving you feedback on what's good and what's bad and how you can improve. And you're actually seeing it put into place and getting emails from people being like, I just took my family on a trip to Machu Picchu and we never could have done this. And, you know, you wake up to that email and you're pretty ready to go then. So it's, it's pretty awesome feeling. Well, you seem really confident now, but um, what about the person who's listening to this and they're really unsure or having doubts about whether they could actually do this, you know, like, could I actually build up a tribe like this? Or, you know, what could I create that someone would pay $179 for? I mean, those, those doubts are are there and they're, they're pretty big, you know? So what do you tell these people? For sure. I couldn't agree with you more, Danny, that I, Yes, I come off as confident now, um, and and that's because we've had some successes. But I was just at a conference last weekend where people are selling products for two thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Like this one guy has a twenty five thousand dollar product, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, how can you pull the? Like, are you kidding me? And and a few of my friends who are, who are doing these big products said, "Listen, man, you need to hold a retreat, and it's going to be three days." And um, and it's going to be $10,000. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, I've never done anything like that before. And they, and they called it a Sparta offer. And they just said, like, do something that you think is completely insane um, and put it out there to the world. And you'd be surprised at people who would, who will buy it and who will love it. You know, like, if, if you know, like, they're going to hold you responsible if they're paying $10,000, right? And you're going to hold yeah. you, like they said, you know, we don't tell people to do this who, who, we, who we know are going to create something that's crap. But like you're going to hold yourself super responsible and you're going to do something way bigger than you think you can do if you put that price tag on it. Um, and I'm not saying everyone should jump in that way, but I'm just, I guess I'm putting it in perspective where it's like me listening to those type of people 
feels exactly the same way as maybe some people who are starting out feel when they're listening to us. And I get that because three years ago I was, I was, I mean, I told you the story. I was there, you know, I was living in my parents' house, uh, like two and a half years ago and I didn't have a product other than my ebook. And so I've come a long way, but I think that the only way you can come that long way, and it's going to sound cliche is to, is to literally just say, I'm going to do it. And you don't have to be confident in doing it either. I'll tell you what, there's times I do stuff that I don't feel confident in. Um, I'm still there. But, <laughs> yeah, but you do it, right? Like you do yeah. it, right? Then you're like, I don't know if this is going to work and I don't feel good about this. It's like now I feel good about podcasting because we're 200 episodes in. I know I can hop on a podcast and record one and it'll be pretty good. Um, so there's stuff I do feel like that I've, I'm good at, but there's still other stuff that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. But you just do it. And, you know, like, I think people, when they see you being vulnerable, which, which in essence is doing anything online and putting your story out there, like we did today. And we're talking about today, whenever you're vulnerable, I think that people react to that. And, and, you know, no one, if, if your first product, let's say you're, you are writing an ebook or you're doing a video course, let's, let's use a video course, for example, because I think that's something a lot of people are afraid to do because they say, okay, I can't get in front of the camera. Like, there's no way I can get in front of this camera. I mean, I'm scared to do it. I'm not going to look good, blah, 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 blah. You know, everything that that everyone thinks. Like, don't let it fool you that people are like naturals in front of the camera because um, it's just not true for the most part. And if you think you can't do it and then you hop on and you start doing a video course, it's probably not going to be your best video course the first one you do. And if it is, well, then you're not improving and I, you know, maybe you're just awesome in the beginning. But, it, you know, you do your first video course and people who buy it and people who watch it are going to feel like incredible about you because they will think in their head, man, I could I could never get in front of the camera. Like it gives you authority, right? Because they're like, oh, man, Danny created this video course. Like look at him in front of the camera. Like I could never do that. So they're going to look at you, even though you're probably nervous as anything doing it and you feel like it's awful. And I watch my videos now. I'm like, oh, that should be better. That should be better. That should be better. But they don't see that. They just see you up there doing it and they, they get inspiration from that. And so just by doing it, you're already putting yourself ahead of the people who are buying it and you're making yourself an authority figure, even if you feel super unconfident about it. So just do it and put it out there. And I always say, put a date on it. Like with the boot camp thing, I said, all right, guys, you know, it, it closes in three days and then you're going to have a, a freak and we're going to start frequent fire boot camp. And again, I had no product. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just put a date on it because it held me accountable. And so then I went and I created it. And, um, you know, I watched some of the first videos and they're bad and some are good. So I keep the good ones and I redo the bad ones. That's the other thing is it's never living in this online world is great because it's never finished. Like I could go in right now and redo every single frequent fire bootcamp video if I wanted and send it out to people and be like, here's an updated version. Like it doesn't have to live on forever. Um, and so you're only going to learn it by doing it. And it is cliche, but hopefully by me kind of giving you my experience, it's, it's a, there's a little more depth, uh, depth to that cliche because it, it really is true. Just do it, try it. And if it's really, really bad, scrap it and do it again. I mean, this video, free video series that I just put together, I mean, I had it to produce four videos. It took me like three weeks you know, like to produce four, like 10 minute videos. It took me three weeks to do it. And I watch them now and I think, oh man, I want to redo them like today again, because they could be better. But 
you just do your best and um and people people will realize that and uh they'll resonate with it and that's how you get true fans because they see you doing something that they are scared to do themselves well that was quite an answer travis thank you so much um if, if i could add to that though i i feel the exact same way because i've you know i published five books now and um the first four books you know i never made much money with uh but it wasn't until I published the fifth one that I really kind of cracked the code uh, with Amazon. And, um, you know, now it's the, the book is getting almost uh, selling 100 copies a day. Whereas, wow. Uh, I Congrats. Yeah, thanks, man. I just launched it uh, a few weeks ago, and I'm just looking at the stats. And um, it, it, just, it was just because I didn't crack Amazon's code. You know, I didn't know how to get into the new, hot new releases section. So even though I, I think like I failed four times in a row, if, if you want to say that, um, there was the seed of, of success because I kept learning each time and, and learning more about, you know, how to, to really, I guess, work the system, work the, the online marketing, work Amazon publishing system. Um, and, and I still feel that same way. I still feel that same fear if it's something new, like you said, like I want to do a crowdfunding campaign, but I'm, I'm, I'm uneasy about whether people actually donate, you know, would they donate, uh, 10,000, maybe I should lower it to 5,000. Um, you know, and, and so, uh, it's really tough, but but how? What would you say like if if you wanted to like reverse engineer um, like a successful product? You know, if you were to go in and create uh, your next product, um, just give me like a step by step, maybe like five six steps that you would take to to create the product and decide what to do. Yeah, that's a that's a great question um, because I've always kind of just done it, and it's. And like as it's been happening, I've changed it, and then I look back, I'm like, this could be better, but I've never actually thought, all right, like let's. Uh, I guess I've never been super systematic about it before I've done it, right? So this is this is hard actually for me to go back and do. Um, and I do want to say just real quick, going back to what you said, what's really neat about those first four books that you say quote unquote failed, right? Is this fifth book that's that's getting awesome, having awesome success, you know, and, and is a financial success and people are reading it and loving it. What's really neat is like, you still have those four books there. So you never know when, okay, you know, oh, people read the fifth book and they liked it. Now they go back and buy book four, or book three or book two or book one, building that library, like literally for you, cause they're books, that library up is super important because all of a sudden now, you know, those other ones might become successful because of the fifth one. You know, have you thought about that? Um, yeah, I have thought about it. Um, I wouldn't say that they're all like failures because I have, you know, the people that have read it, they, they do love the work and they, they just keep like, you know, checking out the other books and buying the other books. Um, right. so there is, there is kind of that value. Like, like you said, with your platform as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, I guess what I'm getting at is, is, Amazon, just like anything else, it can be hacked, you know, and, and you and me, we're both, we're both hackers. You hack travel, right. you hack <laughs> our lifestyle. It's, it's really about working smarter, not harder. And once you know the steps, once you crack the code with Amazon and learn how the ranking algorithm works, for instance, um, then, you know, you, you really have more opportunities than, I don't want to say, but the average person um, who doesn't yeah. have that knowledge. Um, so what are, what are some of your, since, since we're kind of on the topic of, of, you know, digital nomadism, uh, location independent entrepreneurship, uh, what are, what are some hacks that have, have been working well for you and in your business? Yeah. So 
I think, yeah, there are a lot of hacks out there. And I love, I don't love the term hack, but I, I kind of do like, you know, because when I say it to someone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, they think it means like I say travel hack and they're like, oh, are you flying illegally? I'm like, no, I'm not flying. Like I'm not hopping underneath a plane and riding on the, in the luggage hold or anything. Right. Um, it, some of the things that we've been able to do, some of the hacks that we've been able to do, um, and I think, again, this is this is experience, is, is one, uh, one specific one I can give people for podcasting, because that seems to be something that a lot of people ask about now in podcasting, as both of us know, are becoming really, really popular. Um, you know, to have success right off the bat with podcasting isn't that hard, because all you have to do is, is batch your podcast. So, for example, and I think, the, and Amazon can kind of work the same way. It's a little different, but a, a lot of things work this way where, all right, if you're going to start a podcast and you start with one episode and you and this is exactly how I did because I had no idea what I was doing when I started. You start with one episode and you record it and you put it out there and you're just happy it's out there. And then like you don't tell people when the next one's coming up. You don't even know when the next one's coming up. And um, and then you, you know, record the second one and that comes out, you know, maybe a week later, maybe two weeks later. You know, you you have to really be super consistent, especially from the beginning. So for podcasting, if you want to hit iTunes new and noteworthy, which is awesome for a new podcast because you're right there on the front page or you're on the front page of whichever section you're in, it's really cool because of the fact that people find it, right? And and once they find it, if it's a good podcast, they're going to stick with it. So So you can easily hack that by recording 10 podcasts before you even put any of them out. Sending, putting them all out at once, which gives you a library of, t- of 10 podcasts. So then what happens is when someone says, all right, like I want to listen to Danny's new podcast and they, and they go and there's 10 of them, A, it gives you authority because like, oh man, this, this isn't just a guy who started a podcast. He's going to be gone after episode two. B, it's, you know, it's based on total number of downloads. So if you have one person and they really like it and they download all 10 episodes, that's a lot easier than having 10 people download one episode. And so all of a sudden you, you, you get this kind of groundswell and, and you stay on new and noteworthy. So that's a really easy one for podcasting is make sure you have like 10, you know, at least five, but usually I, I suggest 10 if you can. You have them all batched up. You release them all on the same day, just like Netflix does now with their series. And you can just binge on like a whole show because they release it all at once. Um, have them there. You know, if people listen to the first two or three and they like it, they're, then they're hooked. Then they're a true fan. Um, and they don't have to worry about when the next one's coming out or anything like that. And you've given them a lot. So if they like it, they're able to keep going through all those podcasts. And that'll hit new and noteworthy. So that's one just with podcasting that I think is is similar Kind of to what you're saying with cracking the code with Amazon. I mean, that's just, you know how it works. So instead of, you know, you're just working the same amount, you're doing 10 podcasts, right? You were going to do 10 podcasts anyway, but you're by releasing them all on the same day right away. And that's your first day on iTunes. You're able to get all this groundswell and all this momentum and all this notoriety. um, And it's just working smarter, not even harder. So that's one of the things that, um, that you can do with iTunes and podcasting in specific, um, and I've kind of taken that and done that with our business now. And we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast, but um, I, I used to have this really bad work travel balance and I, it's still not great. Like, trust me, I haven't got that figured out. I don't think I ever will, but we've done a lot better job of it recently because we used to be like, for example, oh, we're going to travel through Thailand for a month. And so we'd, we'd spend time, like we'd be traveling, but we'd be trying to work. And so there'd be times where, 
you know, for a whole week, we'd be working. We wouldn't have even gotten outside to do anything really cool, you know, for the most part. And it's because we had to work. And so what I've done now is I've started to try to batch my work a little bit. And I, I'd much rather dig into a project and spend like a month, month and a half on it um, and really do it well and kind of be all in on it and then go away. And when I'm traveling, get to travel. And we'll still work and record podcasts and stuff like that. But kind of do the meat of the work in one big block and then get to travel and really come back to the essence of why I'm traveling, which is being out and getting to do stuff and being spontaneous. So we've started to do a little more of that in the last six months. And I've really seen that have a huge positive impact on both our travel life and and the things we do while we're traveling and also on our work life because we can get stuff done once you get in that zone. It might take you a few days to get in that mode, but once you're in, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm really digging into this project. And um and so we've been able to do that over the last couple of months and it's been it's been eye opening how how much better it is for both me and Heather and our lifestyle as a whole. You learn so much as a result of the journey, and I think that travel is the absolute best education there is out there in life. And it's it's definitely made me a better entrepreneur. I've I've come to know myself a lot better as a result of, of travel and just other people, you know, understanding human nature and, and all the other things that, that come with travel, I think is, is, is such a reward. I could not agree more. <laughs> so Travis, um, I need to cap, up, uh, cap off this interview. So could you tell me a little bit about um, some of your products? Like you have Location Indie, uh, Paradise Pack. Give me some more information sure. about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, we have uh, now we basically have three main thing or three main products, I guess. And and you hit them all. Uh, One is our frequent flyer boot camp, which is sold through our website, extrapackofpeanuts.com. And it's only sold through our email newsletter. Um, You can't buy it on the site. So if you're interested, hop on the email newsletter, you'll get lots of um, you'll get four free videos. And that will you know, teach you about frequent flyer miles and maybe you'll want more. And if you do, uh, frequent flyer boot camp is there for you. And uh, we've had hundreds of people go through that. And that's basically me just breaking down frequent flyer miles uh, from, you know, the ba- from the easiest part of it. So if you know nothing about frequent flyer miles, like we'll start right from the beginning and going all the way up to like the crazy stuff you can do where you like you can travel to three different continents for the same price as one regular ticket um with frequent fire miles and it's called stopovers and open jaws so it gets really nerdy uh for people who really want to dive deep and and take these crazy trips so um that's frequent fire boot camp location indie is an awesome collaborative project that i've worked on um with my buddy jason moore from from zero to travel and what that is is that's once a year we have a or excuse me that's paradise pack location indie is a, is a community site so we became location independent almost despite us like messing up over and over again and not knowing people in that world. Like I didn't know anyone who was location independent when I first started out. Um, I just knew I wanted that. So we ended up meeting at a conference and, um, and, and it just hit it off, but we thought, well, you know, what if we hadn't met at that conference? We, we wouldn't have created this, this community. So we created the community, for people who want to become location independent or who are location independent and want to find others who are doing it. And so it's a membership site. Um, Every month we do a expert question and answer. So we bring on an expert on a various topic, whether that's something travel related or whether that's like Facebook ads or SEO or how to run webinars or, or kind of like the online business side. 
and you get to pepper them with questions. And we do a webinar ourselves every month teaching a specific skill. Um, and then you have like the forum of people uh, who are just, you know, always active and answering each other's question and basically working together and stuff like that. So that has been absolutely incredible um, to build a community. And really, we're just there to help it grow and, and foster it. You know, the people inside are, teach us as much as we teach them. So that's really neat. And uh, the third project is uh, also with Jason, and that's called the Paradise Pack. And that is only once a year. So every June, what we do is we find the best products in uh, the, uh, the whole tagline is travel, live and work anywhere in the world. So basically anything that will help you travel, live or work anywhere in the world. Um, we find it and we, last year we brought together 18 different products from different people, um, in various niches and, uh, the best products we could find in the world about like copywriting, um, how to run a Kickstarter, you know, uh, travel hacking, all types of stuff. Uh, 18 products and um, it was over $2,000 worth of products and we sold it for $197. But that's only once a year for seven days and then it's gone and you can never get it. And um, that's super fun because A, people are getting this product at like a, these products at like a 90% discount. But it's also crazy because talk about batching your work, uh, Danny. I mean, we spent like a month before it launched um, just working on it every day, all the time. And, uh, and then for seven days, you're just going crazy while it's for sale and you're answering emails and we're doing webinars and, and we're live casting on video for seven straight hours, interviewing all the people in it, um, and all this cool stuff. And then it's done and it's like, wow, I can breathe again. And, uh, and then we took a trip for like three weeks and didn't touch the computer. So that was neat. So, um, those are the three things that we do our, our three products. And, uh, you can find out all about that stuff at extra pack of peanuts.com. If you hop on the mailing list, I always let people know what's going on there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and we have a podcast at extra pack of peanuts.com as well, which is touching on the same stuff that you touch on, uh, travel and interviewing awesome travelers and also, uh, talking about location independence and, and sometimes stuff like that as well. We actually didn't talk too much about travel uh, during this interview, but I like the way that this conversation kind of went. You know, you were really uh, frank about your business model, and I think that's really important because, you know, that's that's the main thing that people want to know is how do you fund this? You know, how do you earn income while you're location independent? Um, and just, just there's a lot of questions out there. So I really appreciate um, just how frank you were and uh, just about everything, you know. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, uh, it was my pleasure. And it- that did happen. We didn't even talk about the travel, but I think most people who are listening, <laughs> right? Like they get, they want to travel and that's good. And they kind of know how probably, you know, I, I could probably talk here off for, about frequent flyer miles and stuff, but you, you probably have an idea of what to do with traveling. But yeah, if you want to continue to travel, it's like, oh, well, I need money. And how do I do that? And so, um, yeah, hopefully this gave them some, some idea of the, the real story behind it. And, um, yeah, if I can help in any way, um, my door is always open. My, I guess my virtual door, right? Um, you know, feel free to email me. Um, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Pack of Peanuts. But it really, it's about helping other people. Uh, you know, we're really lucky, right, Danny? Like, we get to lead this life. We get to sit here on a podcast and call this work and just basically talk with each other and help other people do the same. So if I can help other people really live the life that they want to live, uh, you know, that's really the life. That is my life's mission. And um, a lot of times that's travel and a lot of time that that then becomes building a business to help fund their travel. So hopefully we did that here today. 
Yes, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience. And if you want to know more about uh, Travis's travel hacking strategies, go to extrapackofpeanuts.com, and you can opt in for his guide on travel hacking. And check out his podcast, Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast on iTunes. Thanks, Travis. Thank you, Danny.